to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. You've likely heard of bipolar disorder, but how well do you actually understand it? Bipolar is probably one of the most commonly misunderstood conditions, and it's really no wonder why. There are different types of bipolar. The symptoms can vary greatly, too. Sometimes people who have manic episodes exhibit psychosis. At other times, people experience a deep depression that makes it hard to get out of bed for months at a time. It's estimated that somewhere around 4% of people in the United States have bipolar disorder. So there's a good chance that you might know someone who has it. Learning more about it can help you have a better understanding. Here today to talk more about bipolar disorder is Maurice Bernard, who plays the popular character Sonny Corinthos on General Hospital. He's a fierce advocate for mental health. He wrote a book called Nothing General About It, where he shares how the illness has affected him and how he's gotten treatment for it. He also started a mental health YouTube show called State of Mind. Some of the things he talks about today are how he got honest about sharing his struggles with people, the strategies that help him get through his darkest times, and how he came to accept his illness. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Maurice's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Maurice Bernard on how he copes with bipolar disorder. Maurice Bernard, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you very much, Amy. I'm excited to talk to you. So my grandmother was a huge General Hospital fan for years. She taped every episode on VHS tape, and I lived with her during college for a while and got caught up on General Hospital. So we'd sit down and she would explain to me what I had missed, you know, over the last 20 years of not watching General Hospital and Sonny and Carly and Brenda and the Yards. So I have very fond memories of watching your show and seeing you evolve as Sunny over the years. But what I didn't know was that you were battling bipolar in your personal life, too. I know we made Sunny's character have bipolar, and the show has done a great job depicting that. But I had no idea that you were also battling that in your personal life. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I started the show, um, you know... I, Two years before I got General Hospital, I went through a very rough period of trying to get jobs and running out of money and borrowing money and a lot of pressure, which which built and and um, you you start it starts building and building and building and you and you and you think that you're 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 fine, but you're not. So when I started General Hospital, two three weeks into the gig, I had my third nervous breakdown. And I quit the show. They could have fired me because they didn't know. I wasn't popular or anything. I was just, you know, an actor who came on. And uh, a lot of stuff went down, you know. I, if you read the book, nothing general about it, you know what happened. And um, I went back to work. The hardest thing was to go back to I couldn't remember a line. Uh, and I said to the producer, we were in my room and I was crying. And she said, we'll take it page by page 
or word by word if we have to. I went upstairs, did the scenes, big scenes, man, because I had been out for a while. I had to do a lot of scenes. And it was not great, but I did it. And every day got a little better. I think bipolar might be one of maybe the most misunderstood mental health issue. I'm a therapist and I see lots of people who come into my office with huge misconceptions about what bipolar is. So maybe we should start there. What do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are that people have about bipolar? Well, I think the misconceptions are that somebody's just acting crazy and they're going to get over it. But the, I can only speak from my own experience. If, if I'm going through a mania and I don't get help, professional help, it's, you know, I know the crash is going to be difficult. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, who like that mania, who think that, it, you know, they don't want to take medication because it, it affects their creativity. And maybe their crash isn't as bad because that's what I hear some or worse than others. Mine, are, mine was so bad, thank God, that I don't want the mania because that crash, I, I went eight months through of, of depression, which was horrific. Yeah, I think sometimes people will confuse bipolar with so many other things. And I'll hear people say it in my office, like somebody's moody. They're like, oh, that person must have bipolar. Yeah. And we know it often gets misdiagnosed. It has a lot of characteristics of other things, ADHD, schizophrenia, anxiety, and major depression. A lot of people just get diagnosed with depression. But then we know when we put people who have bipolar on antidepressants, it often sends them into a manic phase. Yes. And life gets worse. How long did it take for you to get diagnosed correctly with bipolar disorder? Well, you know, I was in a mental institution at uh, 21, had my birthday in there and I was 22 and I was in there for two and a half weeks and then I escaped. They couldn't tell me what I had. That's all I wanted to know. What, what, what do I have? What is this? Uh, don't know. So after I escaped from the mental institution, I, I went to a psychiatrist named, uh, uh, I forgot his name. Forgot. Great, great guy. Noonan, Charles Noonan. And he just sat there and he just wrote down and looked at me, listened to me talk and wrote. And at the end, he, he said, you're manic depressive. I said, what is that? He says, it's, it's a chemical imbalance. You're going to be okay. You just have to take some lithium. And that was the first time I heard, which made me feel good because at least I knew that I had something, right? But you, you say in your book, though, getting a diagnosis is tough, but then accepting it is even tougher, right? You know, to me, there are times when, it, the, when I, it was difficult to accept because then you have to accept that you failed, which I didn't fail. It's just a, an obstacle. But in my mind, now I'm this thing, manic depression, manic depressive. And I just started my career and I end up in a mental institution. So now I failed. And that's what, you know, I, I had this conversation today about, I always, my main thing was worrying about what people think. And I think that causes a lot of problems. But that's the way I was brought up. And I had that forever. I've only started not feeling that way in my head about a year ago. Really? Yeah. 
it, it, it started, I, it, things started to compute. Just stay in a moment. Uh, the, the narrative in your head, don't listen to that. And I think doing state of mind, just talking to people every week, because I, I, I got to admit, I don't see a psychiatrist. But I haven't felt this good, and it's not mania, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> I haven't felt this good in ever, ever. And a lot of it has to do with not to worry about what people think. And I know during the pandemic is when you started State of Mind, right? And it wasn't because you were in an awesome state of mind, but you started showing people some of your real struggles. Yeah. Um, this is not in my book because it, my book came after this. It was one day and my, my, wife, my, my mom and dad had moved out of my home. My dad made a phone call to me about something. Went to my bed. My wife comes in and says, you can't promote the book in New York anymore because of this pandemic. And in my head, the pandemic was the end of the world. And she says, we're shutting down. They're shutting down General Hospital. I felt this cold rush all in my body. And that night, this had never happened, even with my three nervous breakdowns. I started getting this anxiety and I started to shake all over. And it's, it, that made me go even worse because I'm thinking this has never happened. And now I'm, I'm, I'm done here. I don't know what's going on. My wife would try to say, honey, it's okay. It's, I said, it's not okay, honey. I'm shaking. My whole body's shaking. What is this? Then I had to promote the book. Every, like doing Zooms, wanting to kill myself. 24 hours a day for four months. So I promoted the book for about two months. These people, Charlemagne the God, Dr. Drew, Dr. Oz, they didn't know that what I really wanted to say to them was, can you save me, man? Because I'm dying here. Wow. And I, and I would just talk about mental health. You know, you know I got anxiety. And I, I would sneak in. You know, I'm not really sleeping. Anything you can save. And, you know, what are they? They don't, they don't know what's going on. But in, in, in the big picture, I think the pandemic helped the book because I think it sold more because <laughs> there was a pandemic and my book's about that, about mental health. And when I got the call, it was interesting, when I got the call that I, it was New York Times bestseller, uh, the publishing company, uh, HarperCollins, were all excited and everything. And they told me this and I had nothing. I was numb. So I couldn't, I could never celebrate because it was the pandemic. But I did go outside and I started to cry a little bit. And I told my family and, and that was it. There was nothing, you know, but I couldn't in, enjoy that feeling because of the way I was feeling. And then eventually, thank God, I got professional help. What kind of help did you get? Well, I went to the psychiatrist because if you can imagine, I couldn't get help for four months, three and a half months, three months, let's say. I couldn't get a psychiatrist because of the pandemic, right. right? But you would think somebody who's done what I've done for mental health could, no. Finally, I found this guy. He was a bit of a, I don't want to say, he was just, he was unusual. But I liked him and we connected and he said, I'm going to put you on uh, uh, Lexapro. 
All right. But he always, when he talked to me, he always was nervous whether I was having a manic episode or not. And I would say to him, listen, I don't think I'm God right now, okay? This, <laughs> this is not a manic episode. I've just got this anxiety that's going to kill me. And the Pro worked and went back to work at General Hospital, did an Alzheimer's storyline, and won an Emmy. Feeling two Emmys, actually, after that. But Well, congratulations. Thank you. How difficult was it for you to, to, I guess in the first place, when you started taking lithium back in the day, how difficult was it for you to take medication and then stay on your medication? Not good. I was bad in the beginning. I was bad. The first, I started taking lithium, got better. And then a year later, uh, maybe nine months later, got off lithium because I felt good. And then uh, four months later, I had another nervous breakdown. Oh, God, and the related. And then the last time before I started GH, I had stopped medication for two years. Not good. Not good. I didn't have a breakdown, but I, it was building. It was building because I wasn't taking medication. Now, listen, people, stay on it. I've been taking lithium for 29 years straight, not a nervous breakdown. That's the reality. Of it. Wow. And I got a friend who, who questions that a bit, right? And he's like, well, you could probably do, do it without it. I said, listen, two nervous breakdowns got off my medication. On my medication, 29 years, no nervous breakdown. I think that's proof. When you say nervous breakdown, is that the same thing as a manic episode or? Yeah, I call it, because that's what I, I called it when I, in the beginning. So I, it's sometimes like, you know, to me, they're, I don't know what would be worse. Maybe a nervous breakdown is worse than a manic episode. I don't know. I think it's kind of similar. What would happen to you when you went, would get manic? Um, I would be three times smarter. I could literally, one time I was with my buddy who's passed away. And I was sitting there in front of him. This is the beginning of my first nervous breakdown, manic episode. And I said, I can read your mind. He goes, come on, man. I said, think of something. Now, is it this? He's like, yeah. I said, think of something else. Is it this? He goes, dude, you're scaring me. He ran into the bedroom. Because when I get manic, it just, everything heightens, heightens, heightens. And it, you get this rush of feeling like God. Um, in one of my manic episodes, I, in my book, I threatened to kill my wife and her nieces. And I was drunk also, but that's what happens. Now, you know, my wife, I mean, I was on Oprah talking about it. And Oprah said to my wife, did you think he was going to kill you? And my wife said, I didn't know. But I know even now that at that moment, I was just playing games. I was not going to do anything. But whoever loves you that's in front of you doesn't know that, right? Right. So you scare the hell out of them. And how do you become aware that you're manic when you're manic? Or do you? That's a great question. Um, I would hope now that I'm in my almost 60 years old, 
that I would know the trigger. But early on, you just it just creeps up and grabs you. And then you deny. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I'm good. What are you talking about? Bah, 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 bah. I think now, you know, if you're not sleeping, if you're starting to feel, you know, a lot of, for me, with anxiety, a lot of that is pressure. So what I've done is I've eliminated pressure so it doesn't happen. Whereas before, I would just allow pressure to come, blah, 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 and then it would just take me. But now I'm trying, even here when this thing wasn't working, if this were two years ago, I'd have been a wreck. And then I'd, I'd have come on your show being like, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, whereas now I just stay calm. Right. Interesting. And then how long do your manic phases typically last? Well, for me, they'd last a, a week or two. And then I'd go through depression. And the depression was, uh, was you know, depression where you don't want to get out of bed. Nothing feels good. I used to roll out of bed, roll out, fall down. It's terrible. But I haven't had depression in a long time, just anxiety. That's the Freddy Krueger, you know, the anxiety where Freddy's up there sometimes. He's like, okay, I got you. And I'm like, no, you don't. And most of the time he doesn't, but a lot of times he has. And when you would be in a depressed state, how long would that last? Oh boy, it could last one you know, I'll tell you a story that I usually don't like talking about, but uh, I did a movie that we produced and 500 people came to the premiere and, it, and I literally thought 500 people hated it. So I went into a depression. It lasted three weeks. I had to get professional help uh, just because of I cared what people thought. That's what I'm talking about. But... The depression after I escaped the hospital lasted eight months. Wow. Just, I used to get up, you know, get up and curse God. Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you making me feel this pain, man? I don't get it. I don't get it. And for people who haven't read your book, when you talk about depression, you're not just talking about like a little mild nagging depression. You're talking at times about fairly debilitating depression that made it difficult, if not impossible, to even get out of bed. That's, yeah, and it, and it, and it seems like it's not going to end, but I, what I want people to, to know, and that's what I, I, every time I do a state of mind, I always let people know how horrible it is and that you can get through it. That's the message. I mean, if I'm still here, it's because I've been able to go through a nightmare in hell and come out of it and see the light every time. But when you're in it, I understand you, you don't think you can. Because I, I, you know, my wife would say to me, and I say it all the time, but it's very cool. I'd say, baby, I'd come in crying. I'd say, baby, I can't, uh, I can't go on. Can't do it. She'd say, honey, you are stronger than you know. You just got to push. And she's been right. I love that she said that to you. And it's true. But depression will tell you things are never going to get any better. They're only going to get worse. There's no light at the end of the tunnel and you can't get through today. And it's hard to keep working through that when you believe it in that moment. Exactly. It's very, but, but 
I can't, well, we've been talking about it. How many times that I've been through things and I get out, I come out of it. And then what happens? Like during the pandemic, it was, I was as close to taking my life as I've ever been. Okay. And not just once, I mean, every morning. Because I had, I visualized how. And I think that's the next step. And then, okay. But I got through it. And guess what has happened since I've been, since I got through it? I've gone back to work. I won two Emmys. I started State of Mind on YouTube. I interview people every freaking week <laughs> on mental health or whatever. Can you imagine that? You know, I wouldn't be here and all that stuff wouldn't have. So that's the thing. But I do say this. It's not as easy as getting through it. You have to take the right road. Like, for instance, if you're uh, drinking alcoholic and you and you get through it and then you keep on drinking, that's not going to you may get worse. But if you stop the drinking and you do what needs to be done, your life will be better. Promise you that. I promise you that. Thank you for saying that, because I think sometimes people want a cure that makes things better right now. And sometimes things feel like they're going to get a little bit worse before they get better. So somebody who gives up an addiction is going to feel worse for a while until they work through yeah. it. Or when you first start taking a new medication, you probably aren't going to feel great the first day. It may take a while yeah. before you feel better, but you have to hang in there with a the faith of, if I keep doing this, I might feel better at the end. Right. You know, with Lexapro, I bred, thank God, that the first five days are going to make you feel worse than before you started taking it. And sure enough, I and that's when I really came close to, because I'm taking this and it's, I'm feeling worse. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. But guess what? The sixth day came. <laughs> like the sixth day of, in the Bible. I don't know, there's something in there. And I, I, I remember looking at my wife and I said, you know, I think I'm feeling a little better. She goes, good, honey. You're going to get better. I did. And I guess the irony of this is you're out there promoting your book where the, the subtitle of your book is How Love and Lithium Saved Me on and Off General <laughs> Hospital. And yet you're starting to feel suicidal again during the pandemic, during this time when you're supposed to be promoting the book. But you found the courage to come forward and say, hey, look, I still have problems despite the fact that I've been working on myself for so long. Yeah, that was just a, 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 just a, I think it was a weird period for everyone. But for me, it was just the high and the low and the high and the low, but a more lows. But, you know, I, I wish, I, like I say to people, I wish I could redo the pandemic. I'd have the grace. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do differently? Well, because my family was playing ping pong, basketball, running around, throwing parties, eating pizza watching movies and I'm in my room and they'd go, come on, dad, you're going to, no, 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 no. I couldn't function really. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you, because I, I don't really like to talk about the cameos, but I, I got to tell you what happened during that period. I started doing cameos and it, it started to get a lot and I love doing them. Cool. But I, I, for Mother's Day, I had 500 I had to do as I was having thoughts of killing myself. So <laughs> my wife is like, honey, uh, I just tell him, no. I said, no, 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 no. 
Cause I'd say to her, honey, I can't do, I, I do 20 and I'm like, I can't. Cause I was literally falling asleep. Hi, it's Murray. Hi, how are you? And they don't know. And they're so sweet. My, my audience that no one complained, <laughs> but they were horrible. I'm telling you, they weren't good. And I did the 500. Half asleep, bad thoughts. Um, and that was during the pandemic. You know, all stuff happened during the pandemic that was... But I tell you what, if I did redo it again, I'd have, I'd have a great time. I'd, I'd, because during that time, I keep saying this, because I used to go... I, I have goats and alpacas, and they're, they're great, right? Um, I go out and I can just find peace in there and joy. Well, during the pandemic, I'd go out there and there was no joy and peace. They were just there. So can you imagine now how many how months off I can go out and just stay with the goats and the alpacas and, and just listen to music? Anyway. However, do you think you would have started State of Mind had you not gone through a really rough patch during the pandemic? Well, you know, it's funny. I've only missed one State of Mind. Amazing, because I really couldn't get out of bed at that period. I started State of Mind... Uh, in the car before the pandemic and just kept going in the car every Sunday, no matter how I felt. And then I did, because I was promoting the book at the same time so I could do it together. And then it's, I started getting worse and worse and worse. And I don't know if people knew, not that I would lie. I just didn't want to tell people that I was so bad that I wanted to end my life type of thing. I just didn't want to get into that. But I was pretty honest in how I felt and everything. And then YouTube started uh, about a year uh, after the car. That was a year. And then YouTube started after that. And it's been, and now nobody wants me to do solos. They only want me to interview people. <laughs> but you have attracted a massive following. People really yeah. look forward to your episodes. They really want to know what you have to say. So clearly a lot of people find value in the shows that you do. Yeah. You know, it's the mental health thing. Listen, I think if I was just a Sonny from General Hospital, it would be maybe, you know, not as, not as popular, but the mental health is very important because people like you, what you do and what we're doing here, they like to hear from other people, celebrities, whatnot, that they've gone through similar things that they've gone through. And the ultimate thing is, because I was going to quit State of Mind until somebody sent me something. And it was nothing big. I get beautiful things sent, but this was nothing big. She goes, continue to do your show. It makes, it makes me feel that I'm not alone. And I said, oh, man, all right. And then I kept going and kept going. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. I did, I just did, uh, you're going to, I just did a police officer and he's, he, he didn't know who was bipolar till he was 50. Wow. Because he, this guy came to kill him and he shot him twice. The guy got on top of him trying to kill him and he shot him three more times. Listen to this. So he started he couldn't deal with mentally as a police officer, couldn't deal with it. And I said, is it safe to say that if it wasn't for your wife, you'd still be here? You, we, we, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our wives. He says, no, that's not it. He says, I love my family. I love my wife, my kids. But one night I took a gun, put it to my head, 
pulled the trigger and it jammed. Didn't go off. And I just couldn't believe what these guys go through in, you know, mentally. And he tells the story. It's amazing. And as a therapist, I have people that come into my office regularly and they'll say things like, nobody would understand this, that I'm going through this, or I feel really alone. But what they don't know is the next person who comes into my office often says a lot of the same things. So when you put people on your show and you make these things public, I think it helps all of us know just because somebody looks like they have it all together on the outside, yeah. we have absolutely yeah. no idea what they are battling on the inside. That's, that's it. Yeah, that is it. Um, and I, like I say all the time too, you know, uh, the pandemic is a curse and a blessing because the curse is the, the suicides. And the blessing is there's just a lot more awareness. You know, you watch TV. I, I, I swear, man. And I feel like I'm part of it. Like I, you know, like I'm, I'm watching TV and I hear, and bipolar one, which if you have bipolar one or bipolar two, you have to get, and I'm watching the commercial and I'm thinking, <laughs> maybe I did something, man. Maybe a little bit there, yeah. Uh, but you see all these commercials, anxiety, depression. It's amazing now, the awareness. Yeah. We still have ways to go, but. I think so too. I mean, 30 years ago, I guess back in your day when you first started acting, they told you not to tell anybody you had bipolar and like, look at you now. <laughs> You're out there talking about it specifically. You've started your own show about it just to spread the awareness on it. And I think during the pandemic, it made all of us realize you're not either mentally healthy or you're not mentally ill. Like it's a, a spectrum and we all fall somewhere on the spectrum. And on any given day where we fall on that spectrum varies. And as you talked about, our yes. environment plays a huge role in that. And even if you are diagnosed with a mental health condition and you take medication, that's still only part of the puzzle pieces, right? You still have to do certain things to help manage yeah. your mental health. You always get, you should, you should, you know, see a psychiatrist. You should meditate, work out, yoga, breathe, um, continue to, because like I said, anything to prevent it. So it just doesn't happen is I think the way I want to live my life. I don't know what I did before. Maybe I just didn't think and it just, maybe it was no, I think after the pandemic, it scared me so much that I was forced to look at it differently now. I think that's what happened. And the more I speak in, the, in my state of mind room here, the more I see other people, how they deal with it and what they do and, and it helps a lot. How much did the medication that you take now help with your anxiety? Well, I took, I took, uh, I got off it at seven months, the Lexapro. The Lexapro really got me back to normal. Ah, so let's talk about that. Cause lithium you've stayed on and Lexapro you're able to take for a short time. Cause people will ask me all the time, like, how do I know when I can stop taking this? If I take this medication and I feel better, does that mean it worked and I can stop taking it? Or how do I know if I need to stay on it forever? How did you make that decision to come off of that? It was a gut, it was a gut feeling for me. I just knew that after six, seven months, I didn't need it. I felt great and I weaned off it and I was right. Um, but I was talking to the psychiatrist and he would help me wean off the, the and then I did it and, it and it worked. And I've been good, man. Been good. Damn. And now that you're probably aware of what happens when you go off medication, was there any, um, did anybody else have any anxiety about you 
weaning off of it? Is your wife concerned that okay. they always, they, you know, my family is, they always think I'm, you know, not lately, but in the past, it's like, you know, I think you're going through, what do you mean you think I'm going through? I'm, and we always have this thing, you know, if I get angry once, they're like, oh no, he's angry. He's yelling. It's like, allow me that. Um, but th- that's just, they're, they're very protective of me. And how have you managed to explain bipolar and what you go through to your children? Well, to, you know, they, I talk to them a lot about what's, what's going on, you know, my past and they know, and they don't, they haven't read my book, but that's all right. Uh, they just, they know a lot about it and it's good that I know that I am bipolar because I can see it in, in them. Right? Yep. I can catch it early. So they're, they have a lot of knowledge of it. Uh, I can catch it early. Thank goodness. And, uh, everything's been cool so far. You know, Joshua, during the period of the pandemic, I was in the car and I, and I was crying and he would, I said, you know, buddy, I, I don't know if I, if I can keep going, really. I, I don't know. He goes, Dad, what do you mean? I said, I don't know, buddy. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, I'll help you. I'll get you through this. And he, he, he helped a lot between him and Paula. And it was amazing. That is amazing to hear. And as a therapist, when I work with people, sometimes they'll ask me that, like, how do I explain this to my kids? Or sometimes parents think they're doing their kids a favor by not telling them and they try to keep it a secret. Well, kids obviously figure things out pretty quickly. And then they make up their own stories about what they might think is wrong. And if you don't explain it to them, sometimes they think like, oh, it's my fault or I've done something wrong or they just don't understand. So what would you say to a parent who maybe says, I don't know how to explain this to my kids? If you want to explain it to your kids, look, I, I just say with everybody, I know it's hard, but just talk about it. Don't hold it in because they're going to figure it out anyway. And just let, let them know what it is and whatnot. That way it's, it's, you're not holding it in yourself. And that does, is not good for you to hold things in and just explain to them the truth. But it's, you know, it's become normalized now. It's not a big deal. You know, dad said, you know, dad tried to, you know, he was, well, he was mentally ill. He's mentally ill and he was going through a period. Well, can you imagine if I held that in? Then it would not be good. Then it'd be the big secret and I don't want to talk about it. And then they'd find out about it. And then you have to open up at some point or maybe not. And you're going to keep holding it in. I like being an open book. I encourage people to be an open book. Not to everybody. Some people you don't trust, whatever. That's different. I love being an open book. It's helped me out. I think it's helped me out a lot. I see a lot of people who've carried around this like family secret and it might be, might not even be their secret. It's that they have a parent or a partner or a child that has a mental illness, but they've kept it as a family secret and they end up spending so much energy trying to hide something, trying to make excuses, trying to make sure that nobody else finds out and it's exhausting. That's going to cause you to have a breakdown itself. Exactly. But how about for you? Because obviously you have been very public and you made your uh, diagnosis and your treatment and the struggles that you've been through open to the entire world. What has that been like? You know, for me, opening up, I started on Oprah about 30 years ago and it was, I was, uh, somebody told me not to cry on Oprah. (laughs) 
and it screwed up the whole, I think I could have been so much better. And now, because I wasn't being myself, I was trying not to cry. And it's just ridiculous. When, when crying helps people, right? Yeah. Uh, if I would do an interview now, it'd be like I'm doing with you. I'm not holding anything back or anything. I just let it out. Uh, but it's been great to be able to speak about mental health, play a character that is bipolar, uh, write a book, do state of mind. And uh, it's all about helping people. And I, I, I always said this, and I, and I, may, and I mean it, I just never, I don't want anybody to go through what I went through because it's, it's, it's hard, man. Yeah. My hope is these days that because we do talk about mental health more, that people will know that they're not alone because I think that makes it so much worse when you feel like you're alone in your struggles. And while it doesn't make you feel better necessarily to know that your friend, your neighbor, somebody else uh, has something too, but just knowing, oh, they've been through this, that somehow that gives us a little bit of a peace of mind to know that, okay, if they went through it, maybe I don't have to be ashamed that I'm going through it as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's that thing, you know, that person who sent me that thing and, you know, you let us know that we're not alone, make us feel we're not alone. It's like, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. It's not a big, I've had other things that you think, oh my God, you know, my son was going to do this and do that. And then he saw this. And this is just a little thing that made me go, okay, this is why you, you have to continue. And I'm glad that you got that note. You you got that message loud and clear and that you're going to continue. And the fact that you play this character on, on General Hospital too, who's this tough mob guy. And yet we, depict him with bipolar and they've done a really good job of making it look realistic. Sometimes when people have bipolar in a movie or on a TV show, they embellish things or they don't make it actually realistic. Do you feel like his portrayal, your character's portrayal has been true to life? Yeah, the portrayal has been good. There's been times when it's a little over the top soapy, but I try to bring it realistic with the bipolar. But this last one I did the beginning of the year, was as true to even my wife who doesn't care about what, you know, not that she didn't care, you know what I mean? So my wife, she's like, wow, that was, it's as true to bipolar as I've played. Wow. So to go from 30 years ago where they told you not to tell anybody that you had bipolar to now playing a character who is being represented as somebody who has bipolar to now having this show where you're helping people feel less alone, that's pretty amazing. Um, just, I'm very honored, very proud. And I, and, uh, nothing makes me more proud than, than seriously, than, than state of mind that what I'm doing now. I mean, JH is great. I love it, but what keeps me ticking, like, who can I get on? Who can I, this, who can I, how can I help? How can I help? Like I'm, I'm, I'm starting to talk, you know, about the, 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 the police and not poli- I don't want to be political. But I want to get into kids and this and that and sorts of things. Kind of what you do. but go And ahead. you get so many interesting people, though, who, again, might look like on the outside, they have it all together. Yeah. And then they open up on your show to say, actually, I struggle with this or I used to struggle with that. And I think one of the bravest things that anybody can do is not just talk about their struggles in the past. But when you step forward and say, 
And I'm still struggling with this right now. Like it's easier to say 20 years ago, yeah. I had depression, yeah, you're right. but I'm way better now. But to say, and I'm still struggling, that's hard. Yeah. Like if I had, if I would to go through anxiety and get on the show and talk to people, I'd love to, I don't want that to happen, but if it did happen, I'd like to see how I deal with it because I haven't been in that chair messed up. That would be interesting. Not that I'm going to, I'm not a method interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> would you still do it or would you cancel that? Or would you? No, I would do it. Would. I would do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, if it was bad, like the pandemic, I couldn't. Do yeah. It. I, I think I'd be like, you know, like, but anxiety, anxiety or some depression. I, I, I could, I've, done, I've been in there with a tiny bit of anxiety and I did it. But I'd like to see how that would, would work. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> that would be tough, I would imagine. How about these days? What do you do to manage your mental health uh, now? You know, I got two grandkids. I got goats. I got alpacas. I got my kids. Um, I, I'm just enjoying life. You know, the, the, the difference between me now and me years ago is there's a, there's a peace in me now. I never felt peace inside of me. It was always chaos. And I never, I accepted it. Like, okay, I'm bipolar. So I'm just, I'm going to feel this inside of me, this chaos. Now it's peace. And it's, I tell people now I can go to the grocery store and talk to everybody. I didn't do that before. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I was just nervous kind of to myself. Now, if you got to know me, we got close. I was who I am. But now I'm who I am with everyone, and it's a cool feeling. I think it's just being normal, <laughs> how normal people are. <laughs> but to go that long in your life without knowing that this was possible or that you could experience that inner peace. Yeah. I wish I had known this when I was in my 20s and 30s. And, but I guess you have to go through some stuff to come out of it, you know, and, and figure it out. And I think that's where I'm at. And, it's just a, it's, it's, it's almost like peace within, like God within that feeling of just waking up in the morning and not, not being so heavy. And then your mind starts playing. And now I got nothing. Just, just cool. And to be able to then share what you've learned with the world, to be able to say, yeah, that's yeah cool. right. To that's be able to reach back and help other people who are still struggling and, to be able to say, hey, maybe I don't have everything all figured out all the time. I still struggle, yeah. but yet yeah. here's what's helped me. Yeah, that's the beauty of, of being able to do that. And I think, I think people uh, listen to me because, because I, I, obviously when you've been through stuff, people are going to, they're going to believe it much more. So Absolutely. Well, one last question for you. For any of our yeah. listeners who um, maybe do feel alone or are struggling with something, what would you say to them? Uh, the only, th somebody who's struggling and feels, just know it will pass. Just, it will pass. Whatever you're going through, whatever you feel. Um, and you know, nowadays, I hate to say this, but we have social media. So if you want to, you know, watch a program, you want to, you know, that will make you not feel al alone like Amy's or mine. You got it right here. 
I did that when I when, before I went to get help for Lexapro. I I went on YouTube and look. Is it good? Is it good? What does she say? What does he say? What does he say? Okay, good, good. I we didn't. I didn't have that when I was young. So we're all lucky now. I like that you said that because we hear so much about how social media can be damaging for our mental health, but I mean, it can also improve it depending on who you choose to follow and what you choose to tune into. Absolutely. Maurice Bernard, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. We will link to your book and to State of Mind, and we hope that everybody tunes in and hears uh, more from your show. You were fantastic. I appreciate it. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Maurice's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that Maurice shared. Number one, identify your triggers. Maurice says having too much pressure on him sends him into a downward spiral, so he's adjusted his lifestyle. He knows what his triggers are, and he's figured out how to avoid them. This is key to everyone, not just people who have bipolar. In therapy, we sometimes help people recognize the things that affect their mental health. I used to work with a woman who discovered that just one drink was enough to activate her depression, and she'd be stuck in a dark place for a few weeks. Another person I worked with learned that taking on extra projects at work triggered her anxiety, which then caused her to sleep less and work more, which then triggered a manic episode. So sometimes just keeping a calendar that logs your activities or even the foods you eat might help you identify the things that trigger your anxiety, your mood swings, or even just your bad days. Number two, recognize when you need help that's temporary versus ongoing support. I like that Maurice talked about accepting that he has bipolar and knowing that he needs to stay on his medicine. But he realized that the difficult emotions he felt during the pandemic were temporary, and he was able to stop taking the medication that he took during that time. One of the biggest misconceptions in mental health treatment is that people aren't sure when their illness gets better. They get confused about whether it's okay to stop taking their medication, or they want to stop therapy as soon as they start to feel better. But some conditions, like bipolar, can't be cured. There are treatments that manage the symptoms, but the underlying condition lasts forever. Other conditions might come and go throughout someone's life, like depression. Someone might have a depressive episode a few times in their lives. Other conditions, like an anxiety disorder, might go away forever with treatment. But it's important to talk to your therapist or your doctor about your condition, the treatment options, and your prognosis so that you understand what to expect. And number three, help other people. Maurice talked about the importance of helping people when you can. There's a lot of research on how helping other people is good for your well-being. It gives you a sense of meaning and purpose, and it can remind you that your hardships are an opportunity to potentially help someone else with their burdens. Of course, you have to be in a position to help people, though. I've seen a lot of people loan money that they didn't have, and it puts them in a worse position. Or someone who's already stressed out by how much they have to do, if they volunteer to help someone else, their anxiety might get worse. So keep in mind that there are many ways to help someone, and you might not be the best person to help with everything all the time. Saying no to some things now might help you get yourself into a better position so that you can help people down the road. But if you are in a position right now to help someone, do it. So those are three of Maurice's strategies that I highly recommend. Identify your triggers, learn about whether a mental health issue is chronic or temporary, and help other people if you can. If you want to learn more about Maurice's story, check out his book, Nothing General About It. And make sure to check out his YouTube show called State of Mind.
Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.